Hi, and welcome back to the Forget the Wine podcast, Reclaiming the Book Club. Remember when book clubs were actually about books? Madeline and I were tired of the book club being portrayed as a thinly veiled ladies wine night in popular culture, so we decided to fight this bastardization ourselves. Join us as we examine and interpret modern novels. And okay, if you want to drink a glass of wine while you listen, we won't judge you. Well, we won't audibly judge you. Everybody and welcome to our latest episode of Forget the Wine. I'm Madeline and I'm coming to you again from the mountains of India um, where the signal or cell service and Wi-Fi is always a fun Russian roulette game. And I'm joined by Laura. Hello, hello. Yes, here in Minnesota as usual. So today we're going to talk about Normal People by Sally Rooney. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about. I think Laura and I are both chomping at the bit to discuss this book. Um, But before we get into it, Laura, do you want to start us off with a synopsis of the novel? Absolutely. This is a synopsis from Goodreads. At school, Connell and Marianne pretend not to know each other. He's popular and well-adjusted, star of the school soccer team, while she is lonely, proud, and intensely private. But when Connell comes to pick his mother up from her housekeeping job at Marianne's house, a strange and indelible connection grows between the two teenagers, one that they are determined to conceal. A year later, they're both studying at Trinity College in Dublin. Marianne has found her feet in a new social world while Connell hangs at the sidelines, shy and uncertain. Throughout their years in college, Marianne and Connell circle one another, staying toward other people and possibilities. But then always magnetically, irresistibly drawn back together. Then, as she veers into self-destruction and he begins to search for meaning elsewhere, each must confront how far they're willing to go to save the other. I think this synopsis does a pretty good job summing up the story. Basically, it really does just focus on Connell and Marianne. Connell, who's very popular in high school and has more of the power in the relationship, you would say, than he's sleeping with Marianne, but ultimately doesn't invite her to the school dance because he doesn't want to kind of be seen with her. And then when they go to Trinity College, because of Marianne's wealth and intellect, um, she really has the power in the relationship, and she winds up being the more popular one who people are drawn to. So I would say the book's main narrative follows just the shifting power dynamic between Connell and Marianne, who never really are fully in a relationship, but are friends with benefits. It's definitely centered around these two characters. And as we've seen before in Sally Rooney's first work, Conversations with Friends, she has written some very, very character-driven novels. Was that a cow? Yes. People are saying it's basically a love story. I'm reluctant to call it a love story, but it is certainly about the relationship between these two people, Connell and Mary Ann, and also their growth both in the relationship and as individuals as they we meet them in their late high school years and then follow them in their early university years, which is like a really intense time of, of growth for personality development and all of these things. Before we get into the nuances of the novel and start talking about it a bit more in depth, I thought it would be a good idea to talk about some of the hype and criticism that has come out with um, both the UK release of this novel and also I believe it was just released in the States this past April. Laura, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like reading has become kind of a trend in the States. <laughs> like... What? Do you know what I... No. No. <laughs> yes. Well, okay. There's Reese Witherspoon's book club, right? Okay. Yeah. And then now there's all of these magazines, like Vanity Fair, with a, like an article of this season's best new books in the must-have bags to sash them in. <laughs> yeah. I think... <laughs> 
I don't know that it's like specific to this year or anything, but this book okay. certainly does fall into the trendy to read, stylish. If you're carrying it around, it means it says something about you. Mm. And we'll get okay, into so that's always been whether there. that's accurate or not. But I think this book, <laughs> especially, I would say, has had the most buzz around it of any release this mm. year. And mm. certainly among like people our age, especially women our age. I saw on one of the reviews, Refinery29, I don't know what that is, recently asked, is Carrie Nassali Rooney book the new Instagram status symbol? And I guess that's kind of why I was wondering if the trendiness around this was becoming more prevalent, but maybe it's just a new filter through like social media and Instagram. Yeah, and I think specifically this book and this author, it is particularly trendy among a group of like affluent women who do cultivate a presence on Instagram who shop at you know Whole Foods like it's definitely popular among affluent upwardly mobile women um, because Sally Rooney writes stories about those type of women so I think that it's connecting with that group which is very interesting because as we'll discuss a little bit later Marxism and (laughs) capitalism are topics that come up in both of Rooney's works and she seems to be promoting this idea that we should be aspiring to reject capitalism. So I just find, and I think she also in some of her interviews, I think she was a little shocked by all of the acclaim that it's been getting. She said, it's a far cry from why I started writing. Yeah, it's pretty much the opposite of why. <laughs> so to see her book st- sticking out of a $600 Monster Gabrielle tote bag and pleasing highlighter yellow. You know, it's just like, oh, well, when we talk about some of the themes, we can explore it a little bit more, but man. <laughs> yeah, I agree. There is a huge dichotomy there, but, and I think this is one of the areas where we'll differ is our opinion of the author, Sally Rooney. And as much as she wants to reject this coverage and criticism that is painting her book in a specific way which is like the voice of a millennial generation and a status Mm -hmm. symbol and it's saying something about you to read her work she also Mm -hmm. you know inked a deal to have this book adapted into a tv show and has willingly Mm -hmm. been profiled by Elle and Vogue and all these publications so I think her rejection of all the acclaim is mm, I don't know if I buy it or not. I think this is where we differ because I see what you're saying, right? Why would she even agree to these interviews? Why would she let this happen, right? But I think she might be a part of a machine where, and yes, she did agree for to sign on to adapting into, into film, which I argue she could have seen as more of a creative challenge and something that was an opportunity to explore changing her craft into, you know, screenwriting is different than being a novelist and working with other people in collaboration is different. But in terms of like the interviews and the publicity in every interview, she's like, I hate this. <laughs> you know, in every interview, her tone is like, this is horrible. Um, even in one of them, she said with Vanity Fair, she says, it's just a sense of horror at my own personhood now being an object of public scrutiny or discourse. And I think part of the reason she has to take these interviews is because she has really important writers and editors behind her, which is part of the reason she's there where she is today, is because of all these very influential people surrounding her. But how can she, you know, she's very young, like she's still getting her feet as an author. How can she say no to these things? Well, I don't think that she should say no. For me, it, it certainly it does not bother me when authors become celebrities or, you know, sometimes when they eclipse their own work, it, it's bothersome. But I think that authors, you know, like directors or actors or anybody else who makes art, like it's okay for them to be profiled and it's okay for us to be interested in their lives because if we connect deeply with their work, I think a lot of times we want to know the background of of where they're coming from. My problem is you don't get to have your cake and eat it too. Like to be this young writer on the rise, I just don't, I think she could handle it with more grace than to be in every publication saying like, this is absolutely terrible. Why are you talking to me instead of any random person on the street? 
then use your attention um, that you're getting to spotlight something that you think does matter if you don't think that you personally and your personal life matters. Like she spends a lot of time talking about her own musings and herself in the press for somebody who doesn't think that she's worthy of it. Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to think. I think she does. There was one larger, longer interview where I believe she is discussing like Marxism and literature and some of those topics in a more distant way than just her personality. But and it could be part of it is just she is overwhelmed and doesn't know what to do with this fame. But I think we see in some of her characters as well, like they're kind of caught. All of her characters are a little bit caught up in this question of image and how they want people to see them and are a bit obsessive over how they are presenting themselves to the world and maybe part of that comes from the author's own experience one thousand percent that is my issue with her as an author that is my issue with her characters and anything that I read where she's speaking it's that it's distantly referencing all these little touch points to kind of build an image of an intellectual and a global thinker who's interested in art and global politics and rejects capitalism. But at the end of the day, when you strip those references away, there's not an action that she's recommending. She's not saying, here's what we can do to deal with some of the issues that I see as being evil in the world. She's just myopically complaining about everything that that she sees as wrong. But ultimately, the writing, the work, and her interviews come back to extremely small scope of being concerned with personal and not global issues. It's just global references. And I think we're going to get into that discussion more in the book because that was my issue reading this book as well. I think it's a combination of things, right? It might be some of it coming from the author, which I still am, I would say, more of a fan. Um, (laughs) Part of it is coming from the, the author. And part of it is coming from all of the swirling everyone is regurgitating each other's reviews and interviews and we see this happen with opinion in general right like once an opinion is formed it's very difficult to go against it and everyone has decided that this book is it was long listed for the man booker prize it received tons of prizes in europe everyone has decided that this book is of merit authors like ali smith zadie smith sheila hetty really prominent small established authors have decided that this book is good I I think you had the same sense. I had kind of this crazy, like, uh, you know, the emperor's no clothes. What is that called? The emperor's new clothes fable, right? Like the emperor has no clothes. Yes, I agree. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel about this book. I'm like, did everyone read the same book that I did? Because when you look at the reviews, a lot of it talks about a lot of it, first of all, meshes it with conversations with friends without actually looking at it as a standalone work. That's the first issue, because I think they're two very different novels, and I think they have very different levels of credibility. And the other part is, like, there's there's this regurgitated quote that she's this... We talked about this in our Conversations with Friends podcast, that she's the Salinger of the Snapchat generation, oh. and she's the voice for millennials. And it was one of her editor, one of her own editors who said that thing about the Salinger of the Snapchat generation. But people have just just clamped onto this opinion and for me as a reader I felt very dissonant from everything that's being said about this novel I agree I think we'll get into this but I but I think ultimately this is this is a pretty shallow story and there's not much that goes all that deep here and I think because of all the acclaim that Sally Rooney has gotten and because As a literary community, people have decided that she's a genius and a voice that needs to be watched. People are reading into the text to find stuff that just is not there. Political allegories, they're giving her credit for all these ideas, and we'll get into them specifically when we talk about the themes of Marxism in this book, which I don't believe exist. Um, (laughs) But she's just being given all this credit that I just don't think her writing stands up to. So I'll be very yeah. interested to see like where the rest of her uh, career goes because I mm-hmm. think she's kind of set up some really lofty expectations for herself. That is true. I will say 
that even in, in spite of these expectations being so high, I think she will continue to be a success because she is surrounded by a team, right? Like a team of people who know the literary industry and she's working with really well-established editors. Some of her best friends are really successful authors. Like I honestly believe that no matter what she puts out from now on, she will be, unless she does something very controversial, right? She will be championed and heralded. I think so too. And I think people are afraid to criticize her because that would say something about them that they don't get what she's saying that they aren't intellectual or woke enough to figure it out but you had a quote here in the last email that you sent that was from Sally Rooney that I just have to read because I think it so encapsulates who she presents herself as and it like deeply infuriates me So she says, I was in my late teens and early 20s. I found it really hard to set stories I was writing in the present day because the present didn't have a literary enough quality to it. That is a seriously insane thing to say. And to me, that says more that she, like, to aspire to write stories with a literary quality to them is not something I'm interested in. I want a storyteller to tell me something that they relate to, that they feel deeply, that they have inside of them and they just need to get out on the page. Somebody who is focused on creating a literary quality to their writing, that just sounds absolutely miserable. Sally Rooney, stay away from me. Like, I never want to meet you. I never want to spend time with you. You sound miserable. I'm sorry. Okay. I I think I would like to sit down and have a discussion with her. I, I don't know. I'm still not sold on the fact that she's like um so completely self-absorbed. Hopefully, <laughs> well, you are a more optimistic person than I. So, <laughs> and as we are diving into some of the themes, we'll circle back to this with our final thoughts. But I noticed that all of almost all of the reviews that I read were completely void of just discussing any contents of the actual story in normal people. And I believe that some of the messages that were embedded within this story beyond the writing were very problematic and very unhealthy. Why don't we just get into some of the themes and then we can dissect them further. The first theme we had pulled was normalcy. Connell is introduced to us as a high schooler who is your typical popular hot footballer boy. But we see in his inner voice that he's deeply insecure and he's obsessed with sticking to the status quo. He's obsessed with what people think of him. And when he meets Marianne, she is the weirdo. She's super like strange and she doesn't have any friends. And he's sort of introduced to this girl who he believes is living life freely and without caring what anyone thinks and therefore it is a lot more authentic so that's the first introduction that we have to this theme of normalcy we see Marianne also reflecting about school this is a quote Marianne's classmates all seem to like school so much and find it normal to dress in the same uniform every day, to comply at all times with arbitrary rules, to be scrutinized and monitored for misbehavior. This is normal to them. From the beginning, we had this idea of, we saw in, in Severance, right? This theme of like, everybody is sheep and the outliers are where life is happening. The one thing that I did like about this book is I think it's fairly well done that you're right. When they are in high school, Connell really admires Marianne for kind of being her own person and not bending to the wills of the group to be accepted. And then when we get to college and the group is a little bit more accepting of Marianne, um, it's a group that's totally focused on intellectualism and she's very smart and it's a group that's come from money and she is wealthy so she fits in a little bit more, then we absolutely do see her bending her morals, values, and ideas to fit in. For example, she dates somebody on the debate team who is advocating to allow a pro-Nazi speaker on campus, even though she strongly disagrees with this. And um, she has friends who don't treat people well and she says are shallow, but she still keeps them around her. And 
just like Connell did in high school, kind of changes her personality to fit in. I think that it kind of says Marianne, maybe her uniqueness in high school wasn't due to some inner strength that she just didn't need anyone's approval, but that she was so outside of the group that she just couldn't get there no matter what she tried. And then in college, um, she was able to assimilate and did. And she even has that reflection towards the end of the novel, towards the very, very end, where she realizes that given the chance, if, if people in school had even just talked to her and acknowledged her, she would have been just as bad as they were. So she acknowledges that this independent streak of her not caring about what other people think was actually just due to her circumstances. And in reality, if she had been accepted, she would have been just as bad. Which And that I, I did like. I found that yeah. super realistic and true yeah. to life. Um, and I thought that that was pretty well written. I also did appreciate those observations. Although I guess I was thinking more the flip in popularity and status self was a little bit cliched and tropey. Kids who are popular in high school don't know how to make it out in the real world. And the weirdos in high school ended up to be super successful. Because I, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I think in this novel it, it did fit the theme and it was a realistic, in the case of the characters, a realistic progression. Yeah, I think that theme could have worked, but it was not delivered subtly here. I don't know how many times it was explicitly written out of like, first Connell had the power and now Marianne did. There is yeah. no subtlety to it whatsoever. It, I would say every six pages, they remind you that in high school it was one way and now the rules have flipped. So I wish that that was kind of delivered with a little bit more elegance. And this is one of the things I was going to talk about that didn't work for me so much in this novel was that, okay, in conversations with friends, we have a first-person narrator. And a lot of these very blatant, plain-spoken observations were delivered it worked so well with that format because we were in the mind of one of the main characters and she was very self-aware but at the same time completely not her very blunt pointed statements were worked really well in third person with we're in third person and we kind of shift between the perspective of Connell and Marianne it's, it actually just seemed in this novel like it was hitting you over the head with it. There was no nuanced way for Sally Rooney to deliver these truths and this progression. She had to just blanketly state it out. I totally agree with you. It, is it made sense to have a lack of insight with the narration and conversations with friends because it was written from the perspective of a 21-year-old who didn't have much distance um, from her own life and wasn't able to like examine it or be particularly self-aware. But in this book, where it's a third-person omniscient narrator, it makes no sense, the tone of the narration. And I do like Sally Rooney's like very simplistic, direct style of writing. I think it creates a flow that's very easy to read. And with the third-person narration, I do not think worked with it at all. And it felt jarring to me the entire time reading it. Yeah, yeah, there were many times where it was just some of the themes, especially the fact that they she used the word normal, abnormal, and weird so frequently throughout <laughs> the text. I was like, okay, like, you know, that's one of the themes. It's called normal people. Like, come on. It felt at once like some of her writing was... I agree. She's a phenomenal writer, to be fair, in many ways, to even create this... Uh, her age is a huge accomplishment but in terms of all of the credit it's getting I just don't think the writing stands up to it for example Connell is talking about his relationship with Helen a girl who he dates later and this is meant to be the foil to his relationship with Marianne right Helen is a pre-medical student she's super quote-unquote normal and to be known as her boyfriend plants him firmly in the social world, establishes him as an acceptable person, someone with a particular status. And then he's he has, wants to tell his mother how normal their relationship is and how nice a person Helen considers him to be. He's not sure where this stems from exactly. And it's like, 
it's just so blatant. <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah, as you're <laughs> reading these quotes, I'm literally getting angry because it's like, huh, for somebody who totally eschews fame and quote unquote does not understand all the recognition you're getting, you seem to have a pretty nuanced understanding of social status and cachet, mm-hmm. and you seem pretty mm-hmm. obsessed with writing about it. Mm-hmm. For somebody who's like, oh, we should all be equal. Like, it's just a frustration. Yeah. And the, so this theme with his relationship with Helen is considered to be normal, right? Like, he, he knew that he belonged with her. What they had together was normal, a good relationship. The life they were living was the right life. And we come back to this kind of theme of, like, what's a, what is the right life? What is the wrong life? You know, I think Sally Rooney could have done so much with this theme, right? She She's so good at drawing these characters. And, and actually, I think one of my favorite parts of the book was Connell's character. I think it's very rare that we see into the male perspective, a male who on at the exterior is popular and successful, but on the interior is so paralyzed with anxiety over what other people think of him and doesn't buy into all the conquest and casual sexual encounters. Like, I think that is a perspective that needs to be explored more. But then she also counters it with some very one-dimensional male characters in in the abusive brother and the abusive ex-boyfriend. And they have absolutely no substance behind them. Coming back to the theme of normalcy. In the end, she seemed to have a kind of conflicting shift in her theme, where at the beginning and throughout the novel were led to believe that being normal can be constraining. It, it leads, it brings a lot of personal turmoil to the characters. It leaves Connell physically and mentally. He, he vomits at times. It, it paralyzes him to be so concerned with the status quo and what other people think. So on one hand, she's saying that this normalcy that we're trying to aspire to can be hurtful to us, which I think is a very important theme. But then in the end... Connell and Marianne become normal and we're led to believe that this is a good thing. In the end, they're living together and Marianne, people have forgotten about her. She's a normal person now. She walks by and no one looks up. And it just seemed like such a radical shift to me. I wasn't really sure what she was trying to get across with this theme in the end. But what did you think, Laura? I agree. I thought the wrapping up of the novel was confusing, um, to say the least. Throughout the whole book, it's referenced that Marianne, there's something very dark about her family. And it turns out that her brother is verbally and at times physically abusive to her. This is really hinted at throughout the novel. And then in the climax of the novel, her brother hits her and Connell basically goes and like threatens to kill her brother if she ever hurts him again and kind of like rescues her like a little baby bird. And he goes to their place for the holidays. And basically Connell really does like rescue her from her family, from her brother. There's a narrative the entire story that the reason that Marianne is not normal is that she engages in like S&M with these other men that she dates and that she gets into emotionally and physically abusive relationships with men um, while she's dating is because of her brother and her background. Everyone else's background and tragedy and anything that might make them quote unquote not normal is totally ignored. (laughs) Like the story is Marianne has this dark past. Nobody has ever gone through any other trauma ever except for Marianne. She's totally unique in this. And that was really frustrating for me that no other characters were given the depth that Marianne was. Um, Almost everybody was just treated as like window dressing. And I think that that could have worked if the story was told from first person because then you're expecting like the narrator to be self-absorbed and only focus on themselves and their partner um but with third person narration it was super weird and i just couldn't get over it so let's shift into the theme of abuse and self-blame and maybe even talk a little bit about mental health in the novel this submission dominance so Obviously, we know that power dynamics are a huge theme in the novel, but I think the power dynamics that 
Rooney explored and Connell's and Marianne's relationship was a lot more interesting than the power dynamics in these sort of abusive relationships that Marianne has because who it really really bothered me how she approached this topic in the novel actually this idea that that Marianne was engaging in this submissive behavior because she had been a victim of abuse which yes that does happen of course that happens but I think it was a very one-dimensional exploration of this topic and she just didn't give it the right time and weight that it deserved especially yeah like you said in the role of the dominators these men were Jamie and Lucas Lucas is like an artist who's really gross and ties her up and tells her that she's disgusting and worthless Jamie physically abuses her with her permission yeah they're they're just like one-dimensional villains they're the bad men and then Marianne only engages in these relationships because she's so scarred from the abuse of her childhood. So I think that this topic was just, uh, it was supposed to be a part of Marianne's psychological makeup and her character, but I really don't think that Rooney approached it in a very, what is that term you always use? She didn't earn it. She didn't earn this topic. I totally agree. And just to back up a little bit, so Marianne, with two boyfriends who are not Connell, she really likes the idea of being totally submissive to them and allowing them to do whatever they want to her. So she tells them to hit her, tie her up, take photographs of her, um, and she doesn't enjoy it. She's not getting sexual pleasure out of it. It's just the feeling of being submissive that she craves in a relationship. With Connell, it's like a mental submission, is that always since high school, and this comes up myriad times in the book, Connell looks at her and says he knew that she would do anything that he wanted, anything that he ever asked. Like, he has total power and control over her. This is framed as being healthy and okay when it's with Connell, is that she just has no power whatsoever in the relationship. It's totally, you know, like Mm -hmm. she'll submit to anything that Connell wants. But the minute that she asks one of these guys to be physical with her, they're painted as just one-dimensional villains. I did not understand that. And I agree with you that there was a cheapening of, I think, a lot of times girls who like any or women sorry who like anything that's not vanilla sexually it's explained away by daddy issues or trauma or whatever while men who like things that are considered sexually deviant that's just men that's just their libido that's normal so and I was very surprised to see an author who is touted as being as progressive and in touch with the millennial voice as Sally Rooney is just falling into the same exact tropes as we always see yeah, I was too. And actually, there was one review I found on the whitereview.org. I don't know what that is. I just typed in bad reviews because I couldn't find any bad reviews on this book in the search engine. But she also, this reviewer also points out that in conversations with friends, there's really intense graphic sexual scenes between the straight characters, but there's never any depiction of like the lesbian relationship. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting, too. And then she points out the narrative turns on her later desire for sexual submission in normal people as something solely related to those experiences of abusive trauma. It is actually detrimental, like you said, to paint women who who are interested in S&M and in interested in submission and dominance and interested in sexual relations that are outside of the norm of like a straight vanilla thing as oh they must have some sort of trauma behind them right like they must be broken in some way this is another broken woman who is being taken advantage of by a dominating man and unfortunately i think in this book there's a simplification of emotions all over the place marianne is into being dominated because she's been abused by a man and later in the book connell falls into a depression 
might make sense that he falls into a depression just because he like doesn't have a clear direction in life or just because that's Mm -hmm. like a chemical thing that happens when Mm -hmm. you're growing up but Mm -hmm. in this book it's triggered by a friend's suicide and it's literally like the day after the friend commits suicide he falls into this deep depression i'm not saying that that doesn't happen but i'm just saying that the obvious cause and effect in all these emotions in the book just didn't seem like it had any nuance to it to me I actually really was confounded by that plot point of, so there's a high school friend, Rob, who is in some of the earlier scenes. He makes fun of Marion in high school. He's kind of a dick. Like he takes naked pictures of his girlfriend. He's an asshole, right? And then he, he's like never spoken of again. And then much later, it's such an obvious plot point. He, Rob commits suicide and then people come home for the funeral and I could not fathom why in the hell Marianne would have come back for that funeral because she wasn't even friends with him. It was just so obvious. Like it was just to drive the plot forward. Yeah. Like you said, sure. That could like the suicide of a close friend could trigger some, you know, deep depressive state, but he and Connell weren't friends anymore. And I think it would have been so much more effective. Obviously Connell has social anxiety. That's been, that is apparent throughout the novel. He's very cerebral. He's very, insecure I think it would have been so much I think she would have just done such a better job with this mental health aspect but instead we're taken to a scene where he's in a therapist's office and he goes in and has a conversation with the therapist where he literally reads off a list list of symptoms of depression and anxiety that I could have found in like a textbook it was so horrible it was so horribly written that scene I was like why Sally Rooney why you're such a good writer and it goes yeah. from zero to a hundred. Like he's yeah. fine, and we aren't hearing from any of it. And then suddenly he's feeling suicidal thoughts. Which I'm not saying again. Uh-huh. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm just saying that it felt extremely jarring in this book, and it felt like a darkish YA simple read. You know what yeah. I mean? So yeah. it, it felt like plot points that are trying to propel a story forward and give movement to a story without real thought behind them. And I'm so surprised that a book um, that's being as well-reviewed and long-listed for the Man Booker Prize has elements mm-hmm. like this. I just cannot yeah. get my head around it. Yeah, me too. And like I said, I think I think Rooney could have done a lot with that theme because she had the foundation there. And I think the earlier part of the book was pretty strong. There were a few tropey things with popularity in high school and like, oh, no, oh it God. turns out Marianne puts on some makeup and she's hot. You know, like, they're, yeah, it was they're, very, she's all that. So there were definitely some tropey things, but then there were a few things like when she gets groped at the party and she tells Connell, like, yeah, it hurt when he touched me. And he's like, uh, uh, like, sorry. And he doesn't know how to respond. I thought that was really well done in that. Like, yeah, when men are faced with seeing, witnessing sexual aggression or sexual violence that are caused by other men around them, they don't know how to respond and they feel guilty, even though it wasn't them doing the action. So I thought that was good, but kind of, except for that Connell is, gets to be three separate times in the book. He like white knights for Marianne when other men are being aggressive to her, which felt very typical YA tropey to me. She's groped in the nightclub and he whisks her away and drives her home. And I think they hook up that night, which is like wild that he would think like, oh, after she's been sexually taken advantage of in a club like what she needs to feel better is to sleep with me and then her boyfriend is yelling at her at a party and he swoops in and stops that situation and then when her brother uh hits her he he threatens to kill him it happens three times throughout that he gets to swoop in and be like a protector for her against other men and that did feel very kind of tropey YA novel to me Yeah, and especially, so the earlier scenes, I was like, okay, but the third one, the final scene where he, he, he like saves her from her abusive brother, and then the, then it leads into the last chapter of them living together in this super codependent relationship where basically she surrendered all of her power to him and is in this half sleep like state in life. (laughs) I was like, 
Jesus Christ, what kind of message is this and, book? And sending? I don't think it was supposed to be like a dark ending. Like I honestly feel like this book is written so that you're supposed to root, like root for, for Connell and Marianne. And Oof. the reviews that I found agreed with that, which is insane because it's one of the most unhealthy relationships I've ever read. Not only that, but they have zero chemistry whatsoever. There's no like cute banter in this book whatsoever. Like God knows who they're going to find to play these characters on TV so that it's halfway watchable. Yeah, that's that there was one, there are a few very small snippets where we see them happy together. But, um, you know, I think they were overshadowed by the overall, yeah, total toxicity of this codependent relationship. And yeah, I just want to read these last, these lines that, that really, when I put down the book, I was like, oh, oh my God, this is Marianne. How strange to feel herself so completely under the control of another person, but also how ordinary. No one can be independent of other people completely. So why not give up the attempt? And then later she said, she knows he loves her. It was in the very final chapter of the book. So we can only presume that this is a message that the author is giving us through through the lens of her character. She also says in the very last line of the book, when Connell is going to maybe go to New York for a writer's program, you should go, she says. I'll always be here. You know that. Yeah, it was just like, okay, I guess well just lay down and give in now because that's what happens in a relationship i and and the fact and i think it ties back to your point about the white knighting marianne never gets a chance to find herself to discover herself to heal her own trauma which is i believe the only way you can overcome an internal trauma is to go through it and process it yourself and that doesn't mean like sticking up for yourself in front of an attacker necessarily it means yeah, having having those own realizations, and instead, where we end on this note of she's still, I believe, very much traumatized, very much in a poor state. And of course, yeah, I, and she I was doesn't have really any relationship with her family. She just adopts Connell and his family, which is super unhealthy. Yeah, and that codependence is only going to lead to, we can only assume like the worst, honestly, for Connell and Marianne based on their history and how things end where she's just, she has submitted to him emotionally, mentally, completely. And even though he's given a chance, she asks in a sex scene, she asks him to hit her and he's like, no, I won't hit you. And we're meant led to believe that this makes Connell a good person, that he has chosen not to hit her. But he still, and he said, he admits this throughout the book. He still loves this, the psychological hold that he has on her. Yeah. Ugh. Like towards the end of the book, he, he reflects his effortless tyranny over someone who seems to other people so invulnerable. He has never been able to reconcile himself to the idea of losing this hold over her. In fact, he has cultivated it and he knows he has. And I think we're supposed to like him. Yeah, well, and to be honest, I did like him in the beginning, right? Because I think Rooney was doing some interesting things with his character and his that drastic shift of like being popular and being able to fit in seamlessly with society and then being jarred out of it and having to realizing he has absolutely no sense of self. Like there's this quote when he goes to college, if anything, his personality seemed like something external to himself managed by the opinions of others rather than anything he individually did or produced. So I think in the beginning she was doing some good things with his character. Mm -hmm. Like I think he had a good potential for growth, but then this relationship dynamic with Marianne and also the fact that his relationship with Helen was painted. I believe we were, we were supposed to dislike Helen and that she was too vanilla. I think her, I think the, I think Sally Rooney really betrays her character is that yeah. she is first painted as a nice girl who has a good heart and Connell sees that and knows that he needs that energy around him. And then all of a sudden after Rob's funeral, she starts 
interrogating him about why he wasn't paying more attention to her at the funeral and why he like didn't introduce her to his friends and from everything that we had learned about Helen up to that point it seemed totally out of character that she would like not understand that this funeral wasn't a social engagement so it just felt like a real betrayal um, of of the character that she had set up for the purposes of the reader being okay with Connell basically kicking her to the curb and going back to Marianne. I agree. I think, and, and, and when I was, as I was reading it, it's so obvious to me, so apparent to me that his relationship with Helen is way healthier than his relationship with Marianne. And he had a real potential to, to grow and to be an individual and to, to find a sense of self and purpose with a healthy partner. But I don't believe that's what Rooney thought. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I, and I was also just like, Laura, I was, I'm still like blown away over the fact that all of these reviews don't give any sort of critique or look at the plot of the book and the messages underlying this book itself, except when it comes to like capitalism and Marxism, which that's should we talk about I'm that? <laughs> freaking dying to get into is the theory that this book, which is literally about two characters and that's it, is an allegory for Marxism. Rooney is a self-professed Marxist, and she said that the motto in her home growing up was from each according to his ability to each according to their needs. And there's a quote from The Atlantic that is honestly psychotic and I have to read it (laughs) normal people suggest that despite everything despite the helplessness that Rooney's characters feel in the face of global capitalism and class differences and judgments of other radical politics can work on a small scale and are worth pursuing even if the world's broader inequalities feel both inevitable and unsolvable normal people proposes that a merciful and just country can still exist even if only in the space between friends. This author needs to be 5150'd immediately. This (laughs) is truly an insane take. There is nothing, nothing in the text to support this. And second, the theory, even if you do read in and find little references that like (laughs) the relationship between Marianne and Connell is supposed to be a Marxist relationship between two people, which baffles me, their friendship is not something that should give anyone hope. Like, yeah. it is horribly, horribly unhealthy and codependent. And in that review, like, one of the details that they used to support that it was about Marxism on a personal level is their situation where Connell loses his job, his summer job at college. So he won't be able to afford the apartment that he's supposed to stay in. And he wants to ask Marianne if he can stay with her. And the review says the solution is obvious. She has something he needs. Why shouldn't people give one another food and money and places to stay? And this is a stretch to me, like, because in the book, it leads to this whole misunderstanding and Connell never really asks Marianne if he can stay with her or not. And he moves home. So, like, I guess if you are following the thread of this being a a Marxist metaphor, then it's like, oh, their pride and their greed for money led to this miscommunication and then it ruined their relationship or whatever that could have been so good. But I, this is just mm-hmm. not in the text. Like, there, no. this is such a reach. It is no. truly insane. Did you pick up on any of this when you were reading? No, I think, yeah. I mean, to read into it that deeply, hell no. Oh, my God. I, and I've read this review, too, and I was like, what in the... My favorite part of the review in The Atlantic was when she said... In normal people, characters have different things at different times. Money, social, capital, looks. The novel suggests the possibility of a setup in which these advantages are shared and redistributed according to need. Call it a Marxism of the heart. I was like, what is this? You know what else has differences in money and power and looks? is like my diary. Like everyone's life has that. You don't just get to decide that this is a brilliant work because... 
oh my gosh, I'm getting worked up. Yeah, yeah the, the Atlantic Review is just ridiculous. We can agree on that for sure. Um, but no, I, I so I didn't read into it that deeply at all. But I do believe that she had, she did have a theme of like capitalism and its effects on the individual. But to me, I read it more as the the fact that this these class divisions in society cause the structure that exists there cause a lot of inner turmoil and are very problematic when it comes to like individual well-being because we see Connell he and, and I when he is viewing his peers at Trinity he says he understands now that his classmates are not like him it's easy for them to have opinions and to express them with confidence. They don't worry about appearing ignorant or conceited. They just move through the world in a different way, and he'll probably never never really understand them. And he knows they will never understand him or even try. So I think she's making a commentary on the fact that, like, these social divides are – these class divides, these money divides really create – a lot of barriers for people and create a lot of issues in this kind of conceited opinion way that wealthy people carry themselves in the world. And I mean, I'll give you that. Like, yes, that is there. But if that's there, then it's also in literally gossip girl. I don't think that this take is any more insightful or nuanced than it is in those YA type books. You know, I agree. I think it was very, very obvious when the, these themes came up, when they're discussing the, the scholarship. And for Marianne, the scholarship at their university, she doesn't need the money. But for her, it's a matter of status and just proving that she can do something. But in reality, she's taking it away from another person. And then whereas Connell, when, when he gets the scholarship, he, he's, he feels this huge weight lifted off of him. And he now has the freedom to pursue different things and, and um, really pursue his learning without the extra stress of the financial burden. But then it's kind of weird because they get into this discussion about it. And she says to him, the whole about the scholarship, the whole idea of a meritocracy or whatever, it's evil. You know, I think that, but what are we supposed to do? Give back the scholarship money. I don't see what that achieves. And he says, well, it's always easy to think of reasons not to do something. And she says, I know you're not going to do it either, so don't guilt trip me. And I was like, yes, Marianne, you could give back the scholarship because you don't have this financial burden. But, like, don't put that same weight on Connell. And I don't know what, what Rennie's intention was behind that conversation, if she was aware of that difference or not, you know. Immediately after that conversation, Marianne says, you need to get straight in your mind what you think a good society would look like. And if you think people should be able to go to college and get English degrees, you shouldn't feel guilty for doing that yourself because you have every right to. And this exchange about their scholarships is, is one page long, and it's filled with these huge lofty ideas, like the idea that a meritocracy is e evil and the class differences between Marianne and Connell and who's entitled to a scholarship and all, all these kind of things. But it's just brought up on the most surface level po possible and then totally dropped. I don't really think it's a appropriate exploration of these ideas. And I don't know if that was intentional to make the characters like I guess that is something that college students do is have these very lofty conversations about philosophy and values, but they don't really let those uh, values inform the actual life decisions that they make but it was very confusing and, and this happens all the time in this book is that they discuss caring about Middle Eastern politics and how one should morally care but they just raise it for a sentence and then it never comes up again and they don't seem to be living their life um, like they really care about any of these things about politics or fairness or anything they seem extremely self-involved except for these momentary references to these big lofty ideals we saw that theme in conversations with friends but again i think it worked so much better with those characters because as we discussed like there's in conversations with friends there's kind of a quartet there's the two young college girls 21 year olds who have 
have these lofty ideals. And then there's a married couple in their 30s who are more grounded. And as we talked about in our episode about that, they they are attracted to the young women because they admire their ideas and their idealism. But they, they also have a reality of like, well, we have to provide for ourselves. Like we've built this home for ourselves and the stability and we we're in this life and, and we can't sort of like throw it all away just for the sake of idealism. So I think this, yeah. that like counterbalance really, really did work well in the first novel. But in this one, when we're just in the minds of Connell and Mary Ann, it never really leads to anything. And like I said, I think she could have been making a much, a much more powerful statement about how social class and society brings inner turmoil onto individuals but um instead she tries to make it this big grandiose theme that doesn't yeah it doesn't really achieve it yeah in conversations with friends i think it was clear we were supposed to experience the two young women as naive and we were supposed to see the irony in them rejecting capitalism but living off of checks from their parents that came every week but in this book, we did not have that reality check. And I, I think we were supposed to like relate to or love or feel for Connell and Marianne. And I just didn't. And I think too, like when I was reading some of the reviews, why people loved this book immediately was because they thought of their first loves. And, um, what? Yeah, I read some, I read a review that, that quoted that. Oh my God. Love and light to them. That sounds horrible. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think, too, one of the reasons this book be, and her and Sally Rooney's work is so popular is because of her, her writing style is in such a format and tone and diction that is really appealing to people. It is easy to devour because her writing style is very clear, very pointed, and and it moves forward very well and I she does do a good job with character development as a general rule I think we've talked about the things we didn't like about her character development in this novel but I think people now especially are drawn to this style that's not flowery and not nuanced because we're consuming so much stuff online that screams themes at you so you don't have to think about them we're just like information 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 more and more and more what is the point of this I don't want to I don't have time to think about it I don't have time to reflect on it just give it to me I'm going to consume it and then I'm going to move on and so maybe that's part of the reason why people are consuming this book so quickly because we're in our current state, we're not really giving ourselves time to digest information like we used to because there's, we're being, we're inputting it at such a high rate that we don't give ourselves any space or time or silence to actually sit and like reflect on what we're inputting. I think you're right. Um, I think this book is extremely readable. And in fact, it wasn't until I was pulling my notes together for this podcast that it like clicked with me how much I disliked this book and how many um, issues with it I had because it really does like her writing is super easy to get caught up in. It, it really just kind of leads you through the book effortlessly. Like it's never a slog to get through. So it's not until you kind of take a step back and think about the characters and the themes that the issues um, jump out. So I think she is a really talented writer and actually like as negative as I've been about her personally throughout this podcast, like, sorry, but I will continue to read her work because I think she is a talented author and I'm really interested to see like as her experiences um, and experience of the world like deep in as she ages, what kind of literature she puts out. In conversations with friends, I thought her writing was way better, to be honest. Yeah, like, there were times, there were some really insightful, beautifully written phrases and insights and thoughts in, uh, in the voice of through the first-person narrator. In this one, there were definitely moments where I was like, ooh, I felt like I was reading a master's thesis or something of, of someone doing an MFA. She was trying really hard to be literary. I'm just going to read you like you of these parts where I really just felt like, oh, like she was trying so hard to turn a phrase and be literary. In the very beginning, when Marianne is looking at herself in the mirror, it's a face like a piece of technology and her two eyes are cursors blinking. 
or it's reminiscent of the moon reflected in something wobbly and oblique. It expresses everything all at once, which is the same as expressing nothing. I was like, because anytime you, honestly, I truly believe that anytime you put together those extremes, it expresses everything and which means nothing. nothing. Like you're going to sound profound in some way. And then you learn nothing very profound about yourself simply by being bullied. But by bullying someone else, you learn something you can never forget. A. I don't really agree with that statement. I think you can learn a lot about yourself through being bullied. Right. B, oh man, you were really pulling that out. Like, you know, you were trying so hard there to say something profound. I'm going to read this last one and then I'll stop. Outside, this is when she's, uh, Marianne is in Sweden. Outside, her breath rises in a fine mist and the snow keeps falling like a ceaseless repetition of the same infinitesimally small mistake. Uh, yeah, I just really, truly, conversations with friends. I think we had differing opinions on that novel too, but I thought that was so well written, so well done. In normal people, I was like, how the fuck did this get nominated for a man Booker Prize? I know, I know. What? Well, I, I feel like again, like I'm in some sort of like emperor has no clothes scenario where everyone's saying, "Oh my God, this is amazing." you're the voice of a generation and in reality when you look at the contents it's just not there the emperor has i no totally books. agree it's just not there with this book the the last little thing which we both picked up on this quote in the novel connell wants to be a writer and oh he goes to he goes to a literary reading at his university and he has this reflection that he actually really doesn't like readings because it was culture as class performance, literature fetishized for its ability to take educated peace, people on false emotional journeys so that they might afterwards feel superior to the uneducated people whose emotional journeys they liked to read about. Which, okay, I, kind, I definitely, that statement resonated with me. In, in its reality, right? But that's exactly what's happening with this book. <laughs> and then Sally Rooney further reveals herself in the next sentence where yeah. she says, even the writer himself was a good person. Even if his book was really insightful, all books were ultimately marketed as status symbols and all writers participated to some degree in this marketing. Like, hello, like, are you having an internal struggle about your popularity? And, um, and that's, it's, that's yeah. why I, I do, that's why I know, Laura, I think you're put, you believe that she's feeding into this, like the cake, having her cake and eating it too. But I think she saw this coming and she's like, fuck, I don't know what to do. And, and yeah. And the next sentence is presumably this was how the industry made money. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah but the line of even if his book was really insightful like, <laughs> shut up also i just don't i'm not interested in reading art from people who like this is an inaccessible book to somebody who's not formally educated and like mm-hmm. honestly wealthy and has the experiences of like understanding class differences etc why would i want to read writing from somebody who is so cynical about their own writing and sometimes it feels like the cynicism is put on to feel more intellectual. Yeah. And that's just so off-putting for me. Like, the writers that praise Sally Rooney, like Sheila Hetty in particular, her writing feels so personal. And, like, it's something that flows out of her and it is unstoppable. It doesn't feel so labored. And this writing feels super labored. And I think that this quote of, like, writing is culture as class performance. Like if you feel that way about literature, I don't know how I'm going to have a good time reading your writing. I know. I, it's like, she's kind of stuck in this duality where she has all this moral base and this, these values that have been instilled upon her. She's also discovered that she has a talent and that people are receptive to this talent. And of course she doesn't want to give that up because she's very young and she's making a career and God, I wouldn't give that up either. Are you kidding? Being friends with Sheila Hetty and like getting championed by Zadie and Allie Smith. Yeah. I would totally be buying into that too. I'd be like, fuck my principles, man. I'm going to go get that $600 tote bag that Vanity Fair put my novel in. hundred percent. 
but yeah, I think she's really torn with that duality. And I'm really curious to see how she continues to develop as a writer and as a literary personality, because she really is a celebrity in the literary field now, especially in Ireland and the UK. Oh, okay. So I think we've talked a lot about what worked and what didn't work with this book for us. I think we've covered that. Yes. Final thoughts on the novel, Laura. I think that this is skippable. I don't think that there's anything insightful in it. If you want to get a taste for Sally Rooney's writing and understand the hype around her, I would absolutely opt for conversations with friends instead of Mm -hmm. this book. I agree that Conversations with Friends is a vastly superior novel to this work. The main issues that I had with this novel were were the subject matter behind it, the messaging behind it. Especially there was, like we talked about in the end, this this final scene with their very toxic codependent relationship, which we're led to be rooting for throughout the novel. And there was another, the second to last line, line of the novel is, people can really change one another. Another concept wow. that really bothered wow. me because I was like, that is a really actually like a really dangerous message to be putting out there because the fact that you if you believe that like it's your role to be changing another person, that's what causes so much of this turmoil and this division that's happening in our society now is that we're not looking inward and we're not and and same with these characters, right? They're not looking inward. They're not trying to change themselves. They're not trying to fix these emotional traumas and heal themselves they're looking externally and they're trying to change each other and use each other and for me that's 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 my biggest issue with this novel like yes it is very readable and entertaining yes i believe sally rooney is a good writer but the themes behind this novel the fact that it's being so championed is actually really unsettling to me and that nobody is reflecting on the ultimate messages behind it Yeah, I agree. I can't say anything else negative about this book or I'm going to get put on like an Irish water list. But (laughs) my recommendations, if you really loved this book, are like therapy. Um, But on a real note, if you like the story of like, I, I honest to God think that a book that shows like a difference in class relationship over uh, the course of a few years, much better is the YA novel When Dimple Met Rishi. Like, I love that novel. It was um, happy and feel good. It had characters I could relate to. Um, It dealt with class differences and how um, your families affect your love life and your first relationship uh, and how those waters are are tough to navigate. It's obviously 100% different in tone from this book, um, but that's my recommendation. That is a really good book. My recommendation was Swimming Home by Deborah Levy. It is also a very different tone. It takes place at a kind of summer holiday in France, an English family on holiday, Um, but it explores some deep traumas um, that affect multiple characters um, and it's very it's very lyrical and there's a lot of symbolism and, and nuance but also Deborah Levy has a very like very succinct crisp writing style so the diction is very clear and cut and the plot does drive for it well yeah sorry Sally Rooney I really am looking forward to your next book and yeah to all of the reviewers out there seriously did you guys even read this like or did you just read all of each other's reviews because I saw the same shit in every article I read oh man (sighs) coming for the Atlantic (laughs) I love that well thank you guys for listening and we'll be back soon happy reading happy reading